Paul and Barnabas uh, returned to Antioch from their first missionary journey. And when they got to Antioch, they were hanging out, settling in. It, it's something that all of us need to do um, to connect, plug in, um, to associate with other believers. There are some that don't have the urgency to be in church. And we're told in Hebrews that we shouldn't neglect getting together in fellowship, that we should be in fellowship, that we should be meeting together in fellowship. And, I, and even for these missionaries that go out, when Paul and Barnabas went out and were ministering to all of these cities, um, they themselves needed to be refreshed. And it wasn't until they got back to Antioch that now, oh, they can settle down and just have some time being refreshed. And that's what all of us do when we get together in fellowship like this. When we get together to hear the word of God, we're being refreshed in the word. We're being refreshed by each other also. It's one of those times where you can come in and be comfortable together and, you know, you're, you're not being judged, uh, you know, by, uh, you know, gee, what are you wearing? You know, what, you know, what, you know, did you just get a haircut? Who cut it? You know, and who cares? Uh, you know, we come together and we come together in fellowship and in love. Jesus said that they, the world, will know you by the love that you have one for another. And this is the place where they're going to see that love being displayed and demonstrated. It's a safe place for people that are hurting. People that are uh, disconnected with society. They can come into a church and they can be received and welcomed. Uh, they are not going to be asked a bunch of questions about whether or not they qualify to be in the church. You know what? Because reality is none of us are qualified to be in the church. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we come here not because we're qualified, but because we want to be fed. We want to connect with Jesus. The churches back in Paul and Barnabas' time, the early church, um, they were being liberated by the grace of Jesus Christ. They were getting away from the law and legalism of Judaism, and they were being set free by grace. But not everyone was open to that at the time. Today's message is titled, The Law and Grace. And we continue our study through the book of Acts with chapter 15 in verse 1, where we read, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. 
Well, first I'd like to point out that these were certain men. They were men that were specifically known. They, these weren't just some random guys. They were certain men that came down from Judea. And they were coming to bring the law. They were saying, hey, you Gentiles, it's great. You know, you're part of the club now, but you have to follow the law because you can't be saved unless you follow the law. One thing I'm going to point out here is the fact that who are these certain men? We know Paul. We know Barnabas. You know, we are at the end of this section. We're going to be hearing from Peter. We're going to be hearing from James. We, we know who the people are that are discussing these things, but who are these certain men? Well, I'll tell you, we don't have their names. And I believe sometimes names are excluded because we're not trying to call someone out because they have a wrong understanding of the gospel initially. You see, they were confused even by coming. You know how far they traveled? 300 miles to get to Antioch to tell them, you got to follow the law. So that tells me that they were very legalistic. They had an agenda. And I don't think it was a negative agenda. I don't think it was the fact that they were trying to impose their will on these people. It was their understanding of salvation. You had to remember the Jews, their understanding of salvation initially was we follow the Ten Commandments. We follow the law of Moses. All of the laws that were handed down. Uh, the dietary laws. And, and the law of, oh, you have to attend so many um, of the celebrations each year. You had three different celebrations each year that they had to go to Jerusalem for and celebrate. And, you know, all of these things are part of their legal system. And so... To be saved, they had to do these things. They had to tithe. And people think, oh, well, tithe, that's 10% of your finances. No. They had 10% of their finances, 10% of their animals, 10% of their crops, 10% of everything they had to give. By the time they were done giving, it said that a good Jew would be giving 30% of their properties. Every year, 30% they would be giving because they wanted to be good Jews. They wanted to be saved. And that's how they assumed that they were saved because they were following these laws and they trusted in following the law. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas, verse 2, had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem 
to the apostles and elders about this question. So, first of all, notice they had a dispute. There was a big dispute. It wasn't just a little, nah, we don't believe you. No, they fought. They argued with each other and they were disputing. There was a struggle between the sides. And you can imagine there were people taking sides. There were people that were saying, yes, you do. And there were people saying, no, the Gentiles were probably the ones saying, no circumcision, no. <laughs> and the Jews were like, yes, 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 you know. And, and so you can see how that would cause division. Does it still happen today? Well, why do we have so many different denominations? Because someone got offended by what someone else was doing and saying, no, that's not how you do it. We're going to go do it this way. And they couldn't settle on one way to do it. This causes church splits. This causes disunity in the body of Christ. I'm very blessed that we have a relationship with other churches here in town, that we settle on the essentials of our faith, that we say that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God who came to earth to save us. The Father sent him so that he could die on the cross for our sins, so that we can be forgiven and spend eternity with God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, eternity. And that is what we settled on. We all agree to that. We all agree that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. And so with these two things, we can say we are in fellowship. Now there's a bunch of other things that we differ in things that are theological and that's okay because we are settled on what we believe the most important thing. Salvation is not based on when you think Jesus is going to return to earth. That's not a salvation issue. Eschatology is someone that studies the Bible and says, hey, I believe this. Others say, we believe this. Okay, that's fine. You believe that. You'll find out that you're wrong. And that I, I was right. And you're, you know what? We're not going to care. When the Lord comes to take us home, we're not going to care who was right and who was wrong. All we're going to care about is, ah, I'm here. I'm here. I'm where I don't deserve to be. I'm in the presence of the living God. And we're going to realize that all of the bickering, all of the, you know, it was pointless. But here it was happening in the early church. And they were going to resolve it. But notice they didn't have a church split. They didn't say, okay, we're splitting, that's it. You don't want to agree with us. We're going to be coming the, jurors, uh, the, the church of the Jews of circumcision. And you are the, the Gentiles of uncircumcision. And No, they, they didn't do that. They said, hold on. Let's go and talk to the apostles and elders back in Jerusalem and then come to a decision. And that's what every church 
should do in a sense. Not that we are congregational and everybody gets input into, oh, I don't like that song. And um, so we're not going to sing that song anymore. And, uh, you know, let's only sing these kind of songs. It's, it's not a democracy. It's a theocracy. God's in charge here. And we worship, you know, God. And he loves to hear all of the different worship, some, you know, cymbals and drums. And, and sometimes it's just voices. And that's how he likes us to worship. Not by music, by musicians and entertainment, but from the heart. That's what he loves. And so we will do that. We will worship from the heart. And he will receive that gladly every time. It's a sweet sound. He hears my voice and he thinks, oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> my wife hears and says, oh, please. <laughs> Just sing a little lower. Just a little lower. But you know what? Um, I don't want to divide over things that are unimportant. But I do want to divide on things that are important. If someone comes in here saying that Jesus isn't the only way to heaven, the only way to God, that he is the only intercessor for prayer, if they say, no, that's not true, then we divide. I'm sorry, this is what we believe. This is what we stand for. If you don't believe that, I'm sure there's a church out there that will welcome you to believe whatever you want to believe. But you know what I believe? The Bible. What the Bible says, that's what I believe. I don't want to add to it. I don't want to take away from it. And when I'm unsure, I search it out. I talk to other pastors. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? I've been having a discussion with pastors for the last four days on whether or not pastors should drink alcohol. We've been having this discussion. It's been going on. It's an email discussion with pastors all over the country, Calvary Chapel pastors. And 90% um, say, hey, you know what? No, pastors should not drink alcohol. You know, there are some that say, well, we have the freedom to do that. You know, we can drink, so on and so forth. And we all presented what we believed. And you know what? We didn't kick the 10% out. We said, okay, you know, you can believe that if that's what you want. It's not an essential of the faith. But we did that so we can all get an idea of what everybody's thinking. And let's use scripture to support what we believe. You know, and then we can make a, a, a decision for ourselves. This is what I believe. This is why I believe it. And, you know, I'm good with that. And the Lord, you know, made me comfortable with what I believe. But that should be for everything. We should counsel with one another. But when we counsel with someone, we should always be sure that they're giving godly counsel, not just their opinion. In my opinion, this isn't the right. I don't care about your opinion. What does God show you? Have you prayed about it? And how has God showed you the, 
you know, the truth in this. And your truth isn't going to contradict my truth. God, the Holy Spirit, isn't going to contradict the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't going to interrupt the Holy Spirit. And so we are looking for the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and to give us guidance. That's what they were going to be doing here. Verse 3, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing uh, the uh, conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all of the brethren. So as they're traveling, they're going back through Gentile areas, and they're telling them, oh, there's this great conversion. People are coming by the droves into a relationship with the Lord, and it caused great joy. Salvation causes great joy. We're told that they're, they're having celebration. Everybody that gives their heart to Christ, there's a celebration going on in heaven before the throne. Everyone's celebrating up there every time one person gives their life to the Lord. And so that's exciting because... You know, I, my, my celebration was 40 years ago, um, you know, but there are so many people since then. There's a constant celebration going on uh, of people coming into a relationship uh, with Jesus. And so they're spreading the good news. Verse 4, and when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So here they are bringing the good news to Jerusalem. Hey, this is what has been going on. Uh, we we're seeing many Gentiles come to the Lord. We're seeing healing. We're seeing the gifts of the Spirit. And there were certain Pharisees that were believers, brethren, and they were saying, oh no, you still have to have circumcision and you um, still have to obey the law of Moses. It's legalism that they were requiring. They want the Gentiles to be legalistic just like they are. You see, many of them converting to Christianity held on to Judaism. They held on to everything they were doing. I mean... What's wrong with obeying the Ten Commandments? It's a good idea, right? That's a good baseline for all of us. Here's the problem. When we put following law and sacrifices and everything else that we do, when we put that ahead of obedience... To Jesus, we're doing the wrong thing. To obey is better than sacrifice. And that's the problem the Jews had all along in the Old Testament. 
they were acting, but they weren't really being obedient in their heart. Their hearts were impure. Their hearts were steeped in legalism. We can be that way too. We can get to the point where we're being legalistic about what we do. About who we talk to, who we don't talk to. Where we go and who we interact with. Uh, I know that there are many people that I prefer to be around, like the church family. I mean, this is my church family. I love to be around brothers and sisters in Christ. But quite often when I go into town and I go to restaurants or I go to Safeway or something like that, and um, those people are not as friendly as you guys. And sometimes it just doesn't feel comfortable being there. But you know what we're doing when we're there? We are salt and light. We are shining the light of Jesus in those places. We are being Christ in those places that they don't get to see Jesus every day. And so when we go, we are the ambassador. Kind of like when you send an ambassador to another country to meet with, you know, the representatives from that country. They represent our country. And so they better represent well. If they go there and they talk badly about our country... Oh, those idiots over there, they don't know what they're doing. Can you imagine? Uh, you know, it, it's not going to reflect well on our country, and it doesn't reflect well on them either. And so, the same thing for us. As Christians, we're supposed to shine the light of Jesus, not only by preaching. Have you, have you seen the guys on the corners that yell out, you're going to hell! You know, we, we were at a, uh, an event on the west side of town and someone was yelling that at us, you know, that we were going to be going to hell, my wife and I, and um, they don't know who we are. You know, they're just randomly shouting out at people that they're going to hell. You know, and, and that shows me someone that's out of touch with reality. You don't draw people into a relationship with Jesus by telling them where they're going or, you know, that they're going to hell. That's not going to... It's the love of Christ that leads people to repentance. And so when someone truly has an encounter with the Holy Spirit and sees the love of Jesus, they're drawn to that. Wow, I, I want to know, what do you have that makes you so happy, that brings you so much peace? What is it that you have? Oh, let me show you. I have a 401k in here. I have, no, you're not going to show them anything that you have on earth because these things are all going away. But the one thing that we know that's going to last beyond the grave, that's what we show them. The good news of the one that gets us from here to there. That's what we're excited about showing them. So 
before believing in Jesus, the Pharisees were working their way to salvation. They truly believed they were saved by following the law. They believed it in their heart. It wasn't that they were self-righteous or arrogant. Okay, maybe it was. But the fact is, is that they were misguided. They were taught to believe that. They were taught that they were better than everyone else. They were taught, we are the chosen people, those. You see, there were Jews, and then there was everyone else. Sometimes you hear them called Greeks, sometimes Gentiles, sometimes heathen, sometimes. But if you weren't a Jew, uh, then you were lost. And they were the only ones that were going to be going to heaven. And you had to become a Jew to be saved. So they thought they had that. But Paul explains this in Galatians 2.16. Paul explains knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Following laws don't make you saved. It, it, it may make you appear a better person to everyone else. When I'm going the speed limit and I pass by that cop, you know, he's like, okay, he's going the speed limit. But he doesn't know in my heart I really want to be doing 85. <laughs> he doesn't. All he sees is that I'm doing 65. But you know what? That's not who I am. I want to go fast. And these guys were on the outward showing that they were good people because uh, they were legalists. Verse 6, now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, more discussion, right? Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And so God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. So in verse 6, they're told that the apostles and the elders considered the matter. It's getting together and counseling together. Let's get together. Whenever you do that, make sure that it's people that are counseling on the same platform. We're all believers and we all know the word of God, or at least we're willing to submit to the word of God. 
Those that believe, when you want to, you know, when you want to buy a car, go talk to someone that knows about cars. Go talk to people and counsel with people that can tell you what the difference is between this car and that car and the features and so on and so forth. So that way you get a good understanding. But if you're going to talk about spiritual things, you need to talk to people that are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. If they're not, if they could care less, there are people that know the Bible intellectually here. And now they're going to tell you what to believe because of what they understand intellectually. It's not an intellectual thing. Our relationship with Jesus is not intellectual. It's spiritual. It's one born out of love. And God started it. We didn't come into a relationship with him because we first loved him, but because he first loved us. And that's why we're in this relationship. So it's a spiritual relationship. And we, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, we sense the Holy Spirit leading us and giving us wisdom in the scriptures. There are so many times that I read the scriptures and all of a sudden I get something out. I'm like, oh, look at that. I understand that. And I've read it 50 times and I always thought something else. Now, what I thought before wasn't wrong, but it wasn't complete. And then I read it this one time and God gives me supernatural understanding of how it applies to me at that time. And it's like, oh, I get that. I understand that. Thank you, Lord, for revealing that to me. He still does that today. People that say there are no gifts at this time, that the gifts ceased with the apostles, I don't see that because I see God working in and through his people today. He's still moving mountains today. Sometimes the mountains just look different. He's still working in and through his people today. So when we go to council, we should bring people, wise people in the word of God. And you know who they are because of the fruit that they bear. You know who they are because you see them living their life for Christ. And when they're being an example, then it's easy to ask them, hey, what about this? You know, tell me what you know about this because you see how they live their lives. Proverbs 15, 22 says, without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. So we can have plans that we come up with and they go awry if we're trying to do things on our own. Oh, all of us are guilty of that in one way or another. It's even harder as a pastor planting a church and having just my wife and daughter starting out in the church. So if I'm asking them as counsel, what do you think? 
My wife always has good counsel. My daughter, it, uh, it's always going to cost me something. <laughs> but, you know, when I look for counsel, I want more than just people that are going to tell me what I want to hear. I want people that are sensitive to the Holy Spirit and they're going to leave. So when you plant a church, you have to look for that. Where is the Holy Spirit speaking? Who is he speaking through? And, you know, how can I hear from? And then God moves. All of you, I pray, all of you have the Holy Spirit living within you because you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so when we have a discussion about spiritual things, the Holy Spirit may use you to speak to me and encourage me, bless me, or open my eyes to something that he's doing that I may not see because I'm, see, I'm standing up here and I just don't see things from the same perspective that you see them. And when you share them with me, oh, you know what? That's a great perspective. And I learn a lot from people that are led by the Holy Spirit. Because all of us have the same Holy Spirit. And he can use you. Sometimes he uses my wife to speak to me. I don't get surprised. It's not like, oh, you're using her? You know, I'm, I'm glad because I can trust what he's speaking through the people in my life. Peter was personally familiar with this argument about circumcision about the Jews and the Gentiles. He was personally uh, intimate knowledge of the Gentiles because remember Cornelius? He was sent out and he led Cornelius and everyone that was there, all the Gentiles that were there to Christ. He, led, he was just preaching and in the middle of a few sentences, all of a sudden they started speaking in tongues and praising the Lord and he's like, Oh, Holy Spirit. Oh, this, I didn't expect this. He was surprised. And he saw it happening. So here in verse 7, we see that God led Peter to preach to the Gentiles. In verse 8, we see that God gave the Gentiles the Holy Spirit just as he did to the Jews. Same Holy Spirit was given to them. In verse 9, God removed the wall of separation that was between the Jews and the Gentiles. He removed it, took it out of the way. And now everyone was on a level playing field. And then in verse 10, God removed the yoke of the law from the Gentiles. When he said, now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Uh, it was a bondage that it put them in. And they weren't even able to bear it. And so here they want to put it on the Gentiles. Sometimes that happens still even today when, you know, we put, you know, have you ever led someone to Christ? And now... You say, okay, you have to quit smoking, quit drinking. You have to stop going to the bar. You have to stop doing this and stop doing that. And 
And if you lead someone to the Lord that lives like that, then here's what you tell them. Pray that the Lord would show you what you should and shouldn't be doing. Because they'll ask you, well, what should I, should I, do I have to do this? You know what? Pray. When I got saved, I didn't have to ask which sins I had to get rid of. Didn't ask. Immediately I knew the moment that I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, immediately I knew what was wrong and what was right. And at that point, God gave me the ability to live right. He gave me the ability to, I didn't have a desire for the things of the flesh like I did the day before. I all of a sudden, now, this is an unusual situation. This was me, and it was unusual. It doesn't happen that way to everyone, but it did for me. I don't know why, but he gave me overwhelming strength to not desire those things and to desire a deeper relationship with him. And uh, so that's not the same for everyone, but here's the thing. You're not the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit, but when someone else receives Jesus Christ, they have the Holy Spirit too. And so now you pray for them that the Holy Spirit would speak to them, telling them what they should and shouldn't be doing. And you know what? Sin gets so much more sinful once you have the Holy Spirit. You realize even when you don't have the Holy Spirit, you know that sin is sin. You know. But once you have the Holy Spirit, it's like night and day. You know, it's like, you know, I, I read, you know, an eight point font and it's like I have to really squint to read it and stuff and, you know, get the Holy Spirit. And it's like, you know, giant letter Bible, you know, oh, I can read that. I know what that's talking about. Well, you know, with the Holy Spirit, I understood the things that weren't pleasant and pleasing to the Lord. And so it was easy for me to discern those things. So here's Peter. He's telling him these things. The Jews thought the Gentiles needed the salvation of the Jews. They thought, hey, they had to first become Jews to be saved. Peter's saying, no. We need to be saved by grace. And I love it because he said the same in the same manner as they, in verse 11, in the same manner as, hold on, you just told the Jews that they don't have to, they are not setting the example, now the Gentiles are setting the example. They got saved and they are set free by grace and that's how we have to act. That's what we need to do as Jews. And the Jews were like, what? Are you kidding me? So how do they respond? It says in verse 12, the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul. That first of all, the Jews kept silent. Remember the, the, the dissension that they had, the arguments that they had in Antioch. Then they come here and they're having arguments here. Jews love to argue. They love to argue with each other about the law. And 
Here it says they were silent. And that tells me it was a work of the Holy Spirit. Because he brought silence. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And so they got to add on to what Peter had already shared. And said, look, this is what we saw. It's called a testimony. We are witnesses of these things. And then in verse 13, and after they had become silent, James answered and said, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, and this is from Amos, after this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. And so here he's saying, look, we need to tell the Gentiles what they should be abstaining from, what they should be doing. Well, first of all, who is this James? This is the half-brother of Jesus. Same mother, different father. And he was the author of the book of James. And so here James is taking a um, figurehead. He's the leader of, he was the last one to respond to this. And so he has great authority. He acted as the final authority. Notice it says here, uh, after they became silent, and he said, listen to me. And in verse 19, he said, therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles. So he was the judge. He was the final authority, not Peter. Peter thought, uh, everyone thought, thinks Peter was the first pope type thing and he was running everything. No, it was James actually here in Jerusalem who was the lead elder and he was the one who said, this is how things were going to go. He listened to the counselors. And now he's giving counsel of what he thinks needs to happen. So he quotes Amos 9, 11, and 12, confirming that God called the Gentiles by his name. And if James is quoting scripture, they can't refute it. It's scripture. Quite often we feel that we have to present something to people 
that, you know, we have to make the Bible um, palatable so that when we present it, it doesn't offend and it, it, it makes people feel good uh, about having a relationship with Jesus. And so we try to word things in such a way that it appeals to the general public. Folks, there's nothing more powerful than the Word of God. It's the Word of God that affects the life of people. And so when you use the Word of God, you don't have to read the whole Bible to them. If you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, He'll tell you what to share. And then you just read the Scriptures to them and let the Scriptures do the work. Because when God is empowered through his scriptures in the heart of an unbeliever, um, they tend to either go one of two ways. Either they receive it and they're broken, or they say, I don't want any of that. Quite often when you present the gospel to people, they will say, you know what, that's good for you. But you know, that's not me. That's, that's not what I'm about. I used to be one of those people. It's good for you. You know, you're a good person and, um, you know, good. But until the Holy Spirit did the speaking to my heart, uh, I wasn't listening. But when he did, I listened loud and clear. So this was probably shocking to the Judaizers who wanted the Gentiles to be circumcised as James is presenting this. Um, he, calling them out as there are people called by my name. Oh, but that's scripture. So they're like, oh, I guess I missed that part. I, I didn't really study that. Isn't it funny how we pass over the things that kind of offend us and we want to pass, we don't want to dwell on those things and uh, we, we, oh, we'll gloss over that. Let me go back to all the blessings of God, you know, and, and, but we need to hear the whole word of God. James does give some guidelines in verse 20. He said, but write to them that they abstain from, um, Things polluted by idols from sexual immorality, from things strangled uh, and blood. So the reason why it was so, the, the dietary laws of the Jews, they had to eat the animals. They had to be fully drained of blood. There couldn't be any blood. We know in Levit Leviticus 17.11, life of the flesh is in the blood. So, you know, we, we, we can't be taking blood. And that's how come they're told. You know, you, you can't, you know, uh, an animal that's strangled is juicier because it didn't get bled out. So, uh, you know, so in those days, the pagans would, would strangle the animals so it made the meat taste better and, and juicier. And so he said, no, none of that and no blood, can't take the blood and don't eat things offered to animals. Well, uh, uh, idols. And Paul talks all about this later on and he writes uh, all about uh, the fact that the pagans do that. They offer, and he said, don't even ask them whether or not it's offered. To, but if they tell you that it is, then don't eat it. You know, don't get caught up in that. But, 
You don't go to the market saying, hey, you, is this meat offered to idols? No, you just take it, you go and cook it, and you eat it. And, you know, just don't even present the question. So then they also talk about, uh, James talks about sexual immorality. It's not healthy for anyone. So he's getting right to the root cause of problems in people's lives. They're, they're involved in idol worship by what they eat. And well, if you're a church and you get together for a potluck, you don't want to have a table set up for, you know, the Gentile meat and the Jewish meat. And, you know, this is kosher, that isn't. And no, everybody eats together. And that's how come they're giving them, James gives them these rules and says, look, at least this way, we could all sit down and partake together. We, we can all eat of the same meals together. Paul explains the relationship the Jews and Gentiles have in Galatians 3.28, where he writes, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. He, he's not saying everyone is bi, uh, non-binary. What he, he's saying, the fact that everyone is the same under Christ. We're all the same in God's eyes. We all have the same access to God. We're all children of the living God. And so it doesn't matter where you were born, you know, what nationality you are, what color you are. None of that matters. We are all the same in Christ. We can have a relationship with God simply by accepting the grace of God that he offered through his son, Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. Everyone can have a relationship directly with the living God. We close considering what a relationship with Jesus is built on. We shouldn't trust in Jesus plus baptism. That's the same problem as circumcision. Oh, you got to be baptized. Well, it depends on which church you go to, how you're baptized, right? You can be baptized as an infant when sprinkling. Oh, some say you have to have full immersion. You know, some, you know, they have all, some say you have to be in their church to be baptized. Oh, I, I've been baptized. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. In the Jordan River. Well, it doesn't matter. Were you baptized in our church? No. Oh, got to be rebaptized. And unfortunately, that's how messed up things are. But here's the thing baptism is a work. And if you have to have Jesus and baptism, then you're saying you have to work your way into this. There are lots of Christians that have never been baptized that will still be in heaven. It's not Jesus plus church attendance. We attend church because we're saved. That's why we're here. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're saved. I want to attend church.
I want to fellowship. I want to hear the word of God. I want to be encouraged. I want to have my brothers and sisters pray with me. Fellowship. I love to have potlucks with them. They're such good cooks. It's not Jesus plus tithing. We don't tithe because we owe Jesus money. We tithe because we owe Jesus everything. And we're Christians. So we offer, and a tithe means tenth. It's not tithe, it's offerings. What we give back to the Lord. It's just what we do because we love him, because we're Christians. We get baptized because we love him and we want to show people the inward change that took place in us. And so we use that as an example of that inward change, going under the water, coming out, we are a new man. If baptism were required, Jesus would have baptized, but he didn't. And Paul said, I've only baptized a few. I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I didn't baptize you all. And that's important for us to realize. It's Jesus plus nothing. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, though, in that we need to receive the Holy Spirit into our lives. And that's what makes the change in our lives. The difference between the law and grace, the law doesn't save us. We're saved by the grace of God. So let's be thankful for that grace that he showers on us new every day. Amen.